Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. Thank you so much for being here on the program today. We're going to talk a little bit about lockdowns and the pandemic and, and everything that's gone on and look back with a little hindsight with our friend Hawk Jensen of the Soundmind Creative Group. He is the producer of the forthcoming documentary series, Follow the Science, um, on Lockdowns and Liberty, uh, and they are a new sponsor here on the program. So we want to thank them for sponsoring the We Are Libertarians podcast network, and uh, thank you so much for being here, Hawk. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, of course. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, just heard you on Zuby's podcast, and uh, we've had a couple conversations. I know that you've worked closely with Brian Nichols over at the Brian Nichols Show here on the We Are Libertarians podcast network, and and he's recommended having you on. And uh, w- let's start with what your what your project is at followthesciencefilm.com. What, what are you trying to put together, uh, and what do you hope will come out of this project that you're, that you're working on and fundraising for? Sure. Well, the project itself, uh, Follow the Science on Lockdowns and Liberty, is a docu-series. I mean, we call it the film kind of in shorthand, but it's a docu-series, a five-part series, in which I and a bunch of my colleagues, we're all LA-based uh, filmmakers with deep careers, and, we're, and we were about six months ago, we were looking at <clears throat> the continuation of the lockdowns. Uh, we, you know, I just fast forward a little bit, like when the second I heard the term lockdown, I knew that that had very little to do with the public health and that we were stuck in lockdowns for quite some time. But we were watching it happen. We were watching the things unfold. Um, and there was um, Tom Woods actually made a call out to his audience saying, you know, what we really need is a very strong series. And one of the producers, I'm, I'm one of one of the producers and attached to direct the series, but one of the producers heard that and called us, called a number of us and said, I think we should, I think we should take this up. I think we should do this. And we were like, oh God, you know, okay. That's a big, you know, it was a, we were all like, oh, a little soul searching on that one. But we're like, well, yeah, this is, this is important. This is our profession. We know how to tell a really good story. And we wanted to understand what's going on. We're all curious filmmakers, but we have an appreciation of the scientific method as a form of conjecture and criticism. And we uh, see it as a, as an extension of a freedom of expression and which is, it comes, which is a core principle for all of us. And we just wanted to look at the data. We wanted to look at the narrative. We wanted to look at the policies and we wanted to see <clears throat> what the, what, if what they were claiming, if the science indeed justified the claims and the eventual policies, which then led to these enormously invasive lockdown measures that that reached deeply into the private lives of all Americans and all, all, all the denizens of the world, frankly, and change the fundamental process, uh, <coughs> the fabric of society. And, and, and we don't, we suspect, we're going to do some investigation here, but we suspect it was likely not worth it. So we want to look at the, we want to, we want to look at science as an institution and as a process. And we want to look at uh, on one side and we want to look at the human story and the human suffering on the other side and, and really do a, a true, you know, not a hot button issue presentation. We want to sort of establish a cultural literate, literate, literate understanding of what occurred because we all went through it. So we can all kind of reflect back like a retrospective. So that's the series. Yeah, which I think is smart because that's the only way to really, I mean, as a content creator myself, it's it's been near impossible to even have a conversation about it over the last 18 months, but especially the last years, people have just kind of become hardened in their positions. Sure. Like you're, you're not changing a lot of minds, but I think, you know, once the, the, the heat kind of passes of this moment and people can look back and reflect, 
sort of like 9-11, I think, where if you, you know, revisiting 9-11 at at the 20th anniversary, you kind of look back and you go, man, I remember feeling this way. But when you look back at that moment and take the emotion Mm. out of it, what were we thinking? Or Mm. I got that right. I got that wrong. I, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a smart move because going back and looking what at what happened and the results i think is very smart because it's very clear that this is going to be um you know a here in indianapolis we said mm-hmm. time and time again don't pass the smoking ban and outlaw smoking in restaurants in bars specifically because the mechanisms that you're going to build in doing this ah, yes. will be used to for for future events yeah. And this was the first time that they activated all of those smoking ban policies was the pandemic. Um, we were right about that. And, you know, the, they've they've really used this opportunity to, to build new mechanisms. You know, we've yeah. we've maintained here on the Chris Spangle show that <clears throat> there's a difference between personal action to keep yourself safe that from the beginning, you know, um, I, I wonder, you know, kind of where you were at in the beginning. I'll tell you where I was just so we can kind sure, of, sure. you know, let people know what your first instincts were. Mine was, oh, this isn't serious. We even did an episode and I'm like, ah, this is no big deal. Um, then I heard Michael Osterholm on Joe Rogan and I was like, this sounds really bad, actually. Let's start taking this seriously because they're definitely going to try and shut us down. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, in the beginning, it was uh, everybody was like, let's kind of take a couple weeks, figure out what's going on and then readjust. You know, the NCAA shut down here in Indianapolis. Um, businesses were were doing, you know, the right thing at that moment, shutting down, adjusting for what was right for them and their employees. And then Trump passes the CDC, you know, uh, restrictions, and then it was off to the races. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a there's a distinct change in people's attitudes towards the pandemic and what they ought to do and ought not to do once the government got involved. And what I've always tried to say is, like, there's a big difference between a government lockdown and what what's right for you and your family and, and the people around you and how to handle that kind of stuff. Um you know, and that seems that 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 nuance seems to have gotten lost somewhere along the way. I mean, it was very Indeed, clear yeah. from the beginning that it wasn't going to be two weeks that they were going to pass these emergency laws um, and that it would become a, a longstanding thing as it has. Um, I know that you kind of had a similar reaction in the beginning, but when you where were you at on the in the beginning of this? Well, I mean, a lot of wonderful points you made there. Um uh, one of the things I, I tell myself just to kind of keep in perspective is, is that, uh, cause it's hard, it's hard to, um, um, this whole thing is like a mass trauma that we've all experienced, but you have to remember that everyone you've ever met and everywhere you've ever been also had to deal with this. Yeah. Everyone had their own personal experience. And yet that experience made everyone feel isolated. So it's interesting where it's like this big giant collective experience and yet the isolation, it, it, yet it made us all feel isolated. And to your point about mechanisms, I felt that the mechanisms were prepared for that type of psychological reaction and sort of pounced on it. Um, and, and that kind of, kind of sets up for my perspective. I mean, I've been a, I've been sort of trying on different handles, but I've been a dissident artist for about 10 years. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been looking at what it is actually to be a dissident um, and finding the stories that no one wants to talk about. Now, specifically, I mean, I worked in Hollywood. I worked in LA. I worked in the mainstream and, and, and I have this natural uh, sort of 
I always just sort of look for what people aren't saying. And I always kind of look to the shadows. What are the stories people talk about? And what are the stories they don't talk about? And I got to Los Angeles and I, I mean, I've always kind of been a champion of the underdog, but I was like, well, why are we allowed to talk about communism? Like what's, what's wrong with just talking about it, criticizing it as an, as an ideology as any other. And, and as such, I actually ended up doing this series called witness project um, for a group called the victims of communism Memorial foundation, VOC. And I got to work with dissidents for the last 10 years and, um, um, and learning how they work and learning how they function. And, and it gave me an amazing perspective of what it is to be, and that just happened to be the ide ideology of communism, but what it is to be a dissident, someone who has the desire to express themselves within an oppressive society, normally a state oppression, but any, any oppressive society, and what it is to do that and what that usually looks like. And, and I was kind of in, in, ensconced in that. And then this comes along, this virus comes along. And I've been watching, you know, there was like the swine flu and the H1N1 and all these sort of weird attempts to have this virus, like the, 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 the news response you'd hear about in like Southeast Asia, East Asia was always this giant, like, well, here it comes. And they sort of prepare us if this is this giant thing and most people didn't even pay attention. But it always felt they were trying to pull something off. This comes along, the virus comes along, all the nations like seemingly overnight kind of fell in line with like, okay, this is really bad. And I, and, and I just had all these, per my experience working with dissidents, an understanding of what are the way markers of, of an authoritarian regime trying to seize control. And I turned to my colleagues and friends at the time, I was like, if they do this, this, and this, we know it's an authoritarian grab. And like, and then, that, and like literally that week's like, so we're gonna have, we're gonna do these things called lockdowns for this trumped up um, righteous cause because like, oh, our hospitals might go, might overflow. And these, all these sort of somewhat reasonable things that sort of the reasonable person might be like, well, that sounds all right. But I was on high alert from the get go. I was just like, this is, this is an authoritarian grab. And, and I just, you know, I, I, I did focus on my own family and my, my own world during it but i was just kind of kept talking to my immediate sphere going i just really am concerned that this is lockdowns are not going away after two weeks they're not going to go away after two months we're looking at least two years and 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 that's that's the way authoritarian regimes work they have it well a well-honed mechanism your your site for mechanism i think your your audience i think the the libertarian crowd in general and the, the free thinkers and the freedom thinkers tend to think about the mechanism and you want to talk about the mechanism but then everybody always can push back like oh well you're you're not taking the virus seriously and the death is like no it's not the detail it's the mechanism <laughs> Exactly. Right? You know, it's, it's not it's it's not the message moving through the system. It's the system itself that we're trying to criticize. And they always just hark. They, they throw back in your face as if you're criticizing the message. And well, I feel that right. this whole I think, lockdown really got there. You know, yeah, like you you take something like the vaccine passport idea <clears throat> or mm. Joe Biden's. Uh, I apologize to you and the listeners. I'm, I'm fighting laryngitis again. Um, but it isn't the fact like if you oppose using OSHA to punish businesses over 100 employees because their their employees are not vaccinated if you if you criticize that then you're anti-vax like literally Merriam-Webster changed the you know to yeah, yeah. Uh, change the definition I'm sure oh, everybody the, the Orwellian right bellwethers are everywhere you know and it, it's it, and I don't know that we have done ourselves any favor as as being critical, uh, you know, by kind of in the beginning, a lot of people adjacent to the libertarian world pushed a lot of like crazy shit. And I think mm -hmm. that that sort of, you know, in the Christian world, it's like you've got to protect your witness. So you become across as a credit, you know, credibility is an easily spendable capital in the attention economy. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, the the reality is that. 
you can be pro-vaccine and think that this is going to keep you from ending up in the ICU, but still oppose the mechanism of empowering OSHA to to punish companies because that's going to be used time and time again for any pet project. Sure. You know, I mean, the, the, we just see this time and time again. Anybody with half a brain who knows anything about the government, you know, oh, the $600 in your Venmo account, that's only going to be used against rich people. Well, that's what they said about the income tax in 1913. You, sure. Come on. So you see yeah, the, the, you see the mission, the mission creep. Is, is, the mission is, creep is, is, is exactly right. Yeah. Always. Um, so expanding emergency powers, you know, here in Indiana, the legislature has sued the governor to remove those powers from Eric Holcomb's office because mm-hmm. of what he did last year. I mean, so there, there's no doubt that the, that this was going to be used um, aggressively. So is the film, like, w- when you go and, and put this together, and you, you've talked about five episodes so far, I mean, are you focusing on the government action? Are you focusing on, uh, like, the science of the disease? Are you focusing on vaccines? Are you focusing on the, the big spending emergency packages? Like, are you going to well, do all of it? Well, how do you start to piece yeah, this well, together as a story? Well, initially, we were thinking we we're going to do a documentary. And then we realized that, oh, it's an enormous issue. And we, we inflated the project into a docu-series so that <laughs> we can incorporate all that. I mean, we, we primarily feel that there, we, we have a general sense that we that the top-down measures, that the sort of one-size-fits-all sort of edicts coming down, when we have this amazing, robust economy of, of, of amazing think- thinkers, you know, across the board, scientists, entrepreneurs, and, and, and just everyday people who are figuring out how to deal with this. I mean, if you just sort of re- you know, reduce it, a particularly bad flu came through. You know, I mean, it's a, it was a slightly different variation of it, but it was like, oh, it's it, there was an uptick in terms of its it, in terms of its of uh, uh, if it's danger, but for a very targeted group. And absolutely, we could like if, if we had said, all right, you know, if the leadership said, all right, everybody, we need to figure out how to do this. Everyone, like, we're going to figure it out. Here's our recommendations that you, how you might go about it. And then let the Petri dish of all the different states and all the different counties and all the different households, like figuring out how to have functioned it and protected the vulnerable, protected the elderly, protected those with comorbidities. And then how do we go about, you know, keep keep going forward? And do we just want we, we, we feel that looking at these top down measures that that just made these arbitrary decisions that with this weird claim of science, I mean, the follow the science and we talk about one of the things we talk about, like, well, what does that really mean? It's like, you know, follow the silence, uh, follow the compliance, um, you know, do what you are told. I mean, those are the types of things that people who see and hear through these things, um, you know, tell us and, and we, we hear it ourselves. And so we, we want to look at that that aspect from the government and then the nature of the policy and the, the bureaucracy. Then then looking at science as as what is science, as I was talking about before. Uh, we speak uh, one of our we speak with Nick Hudson of Panda. He's the chairman of Panda, pandata.org, um, which is a great coalition of scientists and, and, and brilliant minds that, that uh, based out of South Africa then, and have chapters in 30 countries. But they're they're looking at the, the an alternative. They're basically an alternative scientific community that are, that are trying to look at it without the interference of, of, of having to um, kowtow to like where the where the money comes from I mean, like the, the, the money. The scientific institution as an institution is corrupt and has been corrupted for a long time. And the scientists are terrified to speak. I think they've been they, through bureaucratic pressure, fear of loss of of uh, of their career and money sources. They they have really lost the ability to uh, 
criticize the conjectures as put forward. So we want to look at that. Like, what is science? We want to have a, a basic understanding of what science is, how science works, how science then presents an idea to a society, and then how government in an ideal world would relate to that and then incorporate that to, to do policies, not this weird rah-rah, you know, there's a there's a paper that's in the news one day and then a, 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 we have a, a top policy member of the of the government say, well, per this, I've decided to make these massive changes. And then the next day, the governor says, OK, you can no longer work. I mean, it's just and boom, boom, boom. And and you alluded to it before. I mean, there's we, there's court cases. I mean, no, most of these things happen. They're not allowed to do this per the system. we have in place, right. But the bureaucracy moves so slow. And they're purposely moving it slow as to like try and get as much change as they can before the court systems actually push back. No, it's exactly um, right. Yeah. So, so there's that. And then also well, well, let's, just, pa let's pause there because yeah, sure. I, I think you, you've hit on um, an interesting point. <clears throat> you know, I think if you look at it, you know, Fauci literally saying like, don't, don't wear a mask, don't buy masks. I mean, you, if you, if you really paid attention in the beginning, like for the first like four weeks, I remember this British guy's YouTube channel. He was like some nurse practitioner who would, you know, like write on a whiteboard and explain COVID to you and how this spread and how it worked. Mm. And, and he wasn't, he was just like a regular guy with a YouTube channel who had a lot of experience and some skill at math. And like almost everything that that guy said happened. And it kind of made me feel much more comfortable because I'm like, okay, this is like serious. I need to not stay away from my 85 year old grandpa. I'm glad I'm not 330 anymore because I had it last month. Actually, I have no doubt that if I were 330 pounds, I would have died from it versus 250 where I exercise and work out. And I, you know, um, and you know, if you just got some basic information, you were fine. You, you know, your aunt, your, uh, hoaxer friends in October would learn the thing you learned in April and they were surprised. And you're like, what, you know? And then the other people would just like take things and you're like, you're, you're banning beaches. Like you can't go to a beach. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it was just sort of like this, this weird thing that yeah. has gone I, on. I saw someone out on a, on a paddle board wearing a mask. You know? it, right. Like, you know, walking like, outside in a mask, we're, we're but just compliance and has nothing to do with any sort of basic understanding of what the problem is. Because it all got politicized, but sure. the, the, politicization of data and the information that came out was I think the most egregious because if you take something like the CDC and their recommendations, businesses just take that as gospel because they can easily default to that. It's mm -hmm. like a, a company going, well, we're not going to bring in IU health to craft the best vaccine policy for our individual employees. We're just mm -hmm. going to do whatever the CDC says, even if it doesn't make any sense for the unvaccinated to wear masks and the vaccinated to not wear masks. You know, I'm just sitting here going, that doesn't make any sense. That's a scarlet letter. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah. you know, I think that's a great example of C the CDC saying no masks. Okay. Now everybody has to wear a mask. Now only half the people get to wear a mask. And it's just like, you, you get why people are skeptical of centralizing the decision-making power in one body. Yeah. You know, when it's well, been I so mean, inconsistent. Just, I mean, engaging the dynamo of human ingenuity is what I we like. I mean, that's what naturally happened anyway to those who were like trying. But then, then it was like the reaction was almost in the way. I mean, I feel, I feel, I'm a big believer in the human spirit, and 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 then the, all bunch of those coming together and figuring out the best path forward, and then and then to recognize, and then to have like this grand sort of scientific, like the scientists come in, look at the data, and it's like, you know what? There's a group over here. They're doing something over here, and we and it seems to be working. Let's start looking at. 
at it and we, and and let's try some variations on it like i i would like to still see sort of a, a grand renaissance of science to reestablish our trust in the institution of science but none of that happened and 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 this bureaucratic mess that uh, i feel you know, it was very much not only, but it's very much at the feet of Fauci, who seems to just be more of an egotist, an egoist <clears throat> and a uh, megalomaniac who wants to wants everyone to think he's a great guy, which I guess is how I happen to see a little piece of his documentary. And that seems to be his like, I just hope people think I'm an all right person, you know, and I. You know, I remember back, I'm old enough to remember the AIDS epidemic coming through and it was very similar thing where there, the, the fear factor was such that if you went outside and touched anything, you might get AIDS. I remember that. Before yeah. even the idea of HIV was even presented. It was like the like, idea that Magic AIDS. Johnson would play basketball and accidentally touch his sweat would touch another player. They could get AIDS. Like, I mean, sure, yeah, basketball yeah. players and not that, wanting. I mean, I remember that as a kid. It was. Yeah, yeah. And that foolish. was even kind of late in it. And. And, and because it was, uh, but I mean, Fauci was there, he was right where he was, you know, he was in control then. And it's interesting because like he, if you, if you go and start comparing that, I mean, he absolutely insisted that one drug from the pharmaceutical companies was the miracle drug. And that's the only one. And it's the only one they can take. And then the, the whole, the homosexual community was looking at their, 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 their loved ones passing away. They were, they were, they were illegally trying different cocktails of all different sorts of drugs, found something that worked. And for three years, Fauci blocked that hmm. and like 30,000 people died. And, and then later he got finally acquiesced and they finally discovered like this modern cocktail that's become normalized and it's something you can live with HIV AIDS is perfectly fine. And, and, and part of what I've noticed that Fauci is doing is like rehabilitating his image. He's like, you know, what's amazing about me is I actually listened to the activists. I actually listened to the homosexual community. I listened to what they had to say and gosh, it changed everything and I saved all those lives, which to me is a, is a, a screaming indictment that he knows that th those 30,000 individuals who died during that time could have been saved if the grassroots knowledge was percolated up into the science so it could confirm it through that dynamo of, of ingenuity of that is the American spirit or the, 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 the human spirit. But he just believes he's some sort of priestly class, uh, you know, giver and taker of, of what we must do. And, and I think it's indicative. And, we, and, and here we are now. It's like only the pharmaceutical companies. There's this bizarre relationship. It's, it's something like that, those are the types of things I've been investigating to try and find, like, what's the pattern here? What's the pattern of this sort of, you know, the way these corporations, these sort of weird sort of corporate socialists have been sort of conspiring with these <laughs> top level, deep rooted um, 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 bureaucrats to sort of control everybody and it's outrageous it, should, it was this country wasn't designed to function that way and yet they seem to act with impunity right now uh so i mean obviously the centralization of decision making is terrible i i, I would love for you guys i don't know if you've ever read the new york times the law the lost month basically about how the cdc and the fda and the trump administration hhs completely blue testing like the only way that you know, we were ever going to really get a handle on this in America was giving people information, giving them testing. You know, I got COVID the first week of April uh, last year and a test was $900. Well, if I had better information, I would have made a lot better decisions probably the days leading up. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. you really couldn't, you still to this day have a hard time getting a test. It can take two or three days for you to even get a, oh, yeah. a test. I mean, that's it's a, that's a top. 
that's a top gun to itself i mean the, the home kit the blocking of the home be, kit <laughs> we should have dirt cheap home kits home yeah. home kits available to every pharmacy that people have stocked up on and it's like oh okay let's uh let's let's keep get on top of this i mean there, there's something that just seemed deliberately uh held up i mean i'm there's a, I also I'll say like I have like sort of my strong personal opinions and then I'm going to have my sort of look the way we want to look have this documentary unpack all these things. Right. But it's but also even just like the way information's collected. We've learned quite a bit about that. I mean, um, each state, each county has a slightly different way of collecting data, um, um, you know, and, and, and it's one thing to be aware of, like the state doesn't consider something to exist until it's been reported to them. So, you know, if you if if they the hospitals have to report every so often they reach out to the hospitals say okay how many cases how many people have died what's the cause is it covid things like that but if they let if they wait a week or two or three and and don't call it because it wasn't routine they would say all right we'll send it send us the information they could wait if three weeks four weeks six weeks of information comes in at once that's from the state's perspective legally and in terms of the reality that's a spike Mm. That's a spike in cases. That's a spike in deaths. And then lo- invariably, oh, look, there's a spike. And it would coincide with the announcement of a new lockdown measure that's going to go in place. Yeah. That spike didn't actually exist in the physical realm. It was actually a you know longer wavelength of, of material. But because it wasn't reported to them, and that's just like one state's version. California is like that. Each state has a slightly different approach to it. So all the data, the way it's collected, is highly manipulatable. And these bureaucracies already know that. And none of us know that. And so that alone and it's like how do you trust the data if 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 there's no uniformity of it and there's no ability to speak about it you can't you know if you bring it up then you must be some sort of crazy well i'll push back on that because i have a friend that works at the cdc in this department and the 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 hospital data the county data the state data the multiple streams of data into different departments in the cdc are meant to keep the data from being manipulated when they reconcile all of it um, so I, I certainly see your point, but I, I do want to just say like there's a reason for for that, which is partly why I, I hated the idea of the Trump administration trying to centralize that whole data collection process yeah, yeah, <clears throat> because Trump, of course, trying to get a handle on this is going to make the numbers look better for his reelection. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that withstanding, let's 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 define a lockdown, because I, sure. I think that, sure. you know, we I think that the term has kind of become a catch all. You know, um, I was always anti-lockdown, but I certainly amended my behavior for a few months just to to kind of uh, keep myself safe, keep my family safe. But like sheltering in place, staying home, whatever you want to call it, voluntarily staying home, I think is different than a lockdown. Yeah. Um, what does lockdown mean to you and what does it entail? It's an interesting question. I mean, because it's sort of, I guess I have two minds of it. They're sort of like, well, what's a lockdown really represent? Are they just basically trying to create a, a de facto gulag? You're turning your home into your own prison. I mean, there's that that aspect of it. Now, if there was, say, a truly virulent plague of some sort that was like really, really, really like if you go outside and you and you interact with people and you're contagious and 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 it, and it quite very invariably leads to a lot of deaths. I see it as the an extreme measure that the state needs to take for the for the preservation of of a majority of lives. That would be an extreme measure. 
extreme measure that was sort of clear and present that that I, I believe, you know, where they're effectively turning everyone's homes into a safe haven on one side of the coin and a, and a bit of a prison or a gulag on, on the other side of the coin. And then they know and it's and it's understood that it's an there's an evil there, but there's sort of an understood there, there, there's sort of a decision has to be made at the highest level that it's for the greater good. Like Washington now, used to do that in the beginning with yellow fever. He'd, he'd clear yeah. the he'd clear D.C. or he'd force everybody to stay yeah. home. Yeah, because it was a yeah, it was and, an and, and I, threat. you know, and it's what, and if we, you know, thankfully this wasn't that, but they played it as if it was that, um, and 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 then there's that added factor of like once they're like, hey, we've gotten we've gotten these people used to staying home and doing what they're told, let's maintain that. Like a lockdown is a temporary measure put to get put in place, uh, utilizing the enforcement uh, strength of the government for a temporary policy to protect the population from a from an acute need which then ends right <laughs> right and 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 people are then released and and that is what a lock i mean i feel like that's what a lockdown is and then what the, but what the lockdown what these lockdowns are pretending to be i feel is a condition to to all of us getting used to being told what to do a, a type of gulag um where where we're basically imprisoned in our own homes or, or you know imprisoned in our own homes and then they've able to, to basically outsource that to the to these uh to get the jab um and you know where and and now they're creating these you know two citizens two citizenries of those who have been had the jab and those who've had not have not how do you deal with regional differences i mean this has been kind of a you know within we are libertarians we've had a lot of debates about this because i'm from indiana mm-hmm. like everything was back to normal july 4th 2020 um you know we had we had a period where you you couldn't go to bars. You you couldn't go to a restaurant for like a month. Um, you couldn't go to a gym. I, I, I like the gyms. I don't think ever really totally shut down except for maybe a month. Um, y- you you basically what what you had if you were in Indianapolis, the mayor would try to frustrate you to keep you home because you couldn't ever predict what hours anything would be open. But the rest of the state, like you go to Newcastle, Indiana. There, there's no lockdowns in Newcastle, Indiana. So that, that's been one of the struggles here, like within our, our group, because like I got tired of hearing Brian Nichols talk about how bad it was in Philadelphia and downtown Philly. I'm like, then, then move. Like, why, mm-hmm. why, you know, you're from LA. Like, when I hear Gulag, I kind of think like back to Easter and I'm driving to my in laws' house and I look at mm-hmm. Bob Evans and the line is like 40 people deep outside of Bob Evans to pick up a pie. And I'm like, okay, nobody's taking this seriously. This is all kind of BS. You know, yeah. once we get to the George Floyd riots, you're like, oh, you don't need to actually socially distance if it's in, if it's to protest an injustice. I'm like, then y'all are not serious about this. Um, so like, well, how, do, how do you deal with that? Whereas like, if you're in LA, I mean, you tell us what it was like in LA. It's much different in California where you, do you have still have restrictions there? I mean, you know, and then if you're in Australia, uh, well, d- d- they're, you know, Australia. Yeah, well, I was going to say, those, those are the two things I'd say. Well, A, to your point, I did move. It could. I, 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 I've removed my person, my business, my treasure from the state of California. Excellent. And I, and, and I have severed those ties. It was time. I, I saw it coming and I was, it was, I mean, talk about the internal artist sort of inner monologue and inner dialogue. Or it was like, you need to go. It's time. 
You know, I mean, it was like, you don't have to run to the border, but you need to make, you know, do the 150 things you need to do to like shut down your life, shut down your business, make your, make your dues and then go to where you were, you know, living a freer life. Yeah. So I guess my question is how, you know, because so much of the anti-lockdown content that I've seen, I'm just kind of like, this seems a little hysterical. An author, well, but but, but you brought up Australia. But but if you're in Australia, you have a totally different perspective. How do you as a storyteller? And even even there, it's Victoria specifically, Victoria and Queensland. Like Western Australia is wide open. It's totally free in Western Australia. Victoria is the one that has the history of authoritarianism. And they are literally a gulag. Like you have to stay within two miles of your home and and then I mean I I'm sure you you saw it where it was like the the health the, the Fauci equivalent was like now I understand you might go outside and you might you know go see your neighbor as you go to the market which is the one place you're allowed to go but it, this is not the time to speak to them like they're terrified of people speaking to each other because I think they know that human networks and people calling BS on all this is going to be their downfall right. and it still will be but that has become a de facto gulag all in the name of public health all in the name of 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 a, of a lockdown that could be righteously brought forth perhaps i mean i know in, in our in the libertarian world like there'd be a lot of debate on that but like but that being the extreme measure and this did not rise to that and they and they they hyped it up and but 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 australia went there and and you get this sense that they, that, that that that's lurking in the back in the shadows for all of us and then and then you know the whole the making the point about you know you you have there's people who aren't experiencing that regional differences where it's wide open i keep my I, where I spend most of my time is where it is not happening. I, I I don't wear a mask almost ever. I don't have to even talk about it. It's sort of like people go about their lives, engage in free commerce and free association. And, uh, um, and I, I exercise, exercise my right to be freely disassociate from California. Yeah, I mean, um, I've had to wear a mask once when I went to the library in the last two months. Um, I mean, yeah. you know, so, so I guess my question is like, how as a storyteller, do you connect with with so many different experiences through this and, and tell that story to somebody who may be like oh, okay that seems uh, like over the top and yeah. and you know conspiratorial i guess sure sure and 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 i mean the thing about wisdom experience so there's sort of like there's like the knowledge you can have about something then there's your emotional uh, experience the you sort of the the emotions that you 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 that occur when you go through an experience and i'm i'm a big believer that those come together knowledge and experience or knowledge and emotions come together and form wisdom and that's a threshold you pass through a threshold and now each and every one of us individually have an utterly unique experience the details are totally unique to us just like we were talking about at the beginning but that emotional threshold that they go through when you when you grow up, I mean, all the things that you go through just growing up as a, becoming a kid to an adult, all this movies are all about those coming of age stories. Well, coming of age is a series of emotional thresholds that people go through. All of us experience very similar emotional thresholds. And so we, we look at we, we look at all the different that we, we focus on the thresholds. What were the thresholds that people experience? So then when anyone watches it, even though they might be in a probably a different world, there'll be a part of it that resonates with them. It's like, oh, yeah, Ira, when I went through that, I experienced it this way, you know, and, and, and expressing, you know, and, and putting validating bringing them in so they don't feel alone, validating their experience, but also letting them see that, oh, it's a, it was a universal experience. And so those types of thresholds are where, what we want to look at for each topic. What was it like to, um, what's a good example? Um, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I mean, there's been no st- chance to actually stop and look back right everything every week there's like the latest crises 
keeps our frontal lobes occupied. But I mean, there was the flatten the curve, the lockdowns, the over the overloading of, of hospitals, the respirators, um, you know, these all these things that were, caused us a sense of fear. And then when they became inopportune, they just kind of got dropped, never to be spoken of again. And we want to go back and like, hey, remember when you were scared of that and you were terrified of this or there was the respirator issue in your immediate family? We want to tell that story. So anyone who had a relation who, who has something that can relate to it, it's like, oh, yeah, that was our version of our that story was this. And we, we our fear was like what came from this perspective and because our existing knowledge at the time was this. And we want to go back and say, ah, well, it's interesting that that was your experience. But were you aware that the actual story, the actual data that at the time versus what we were told was this? And so perhaps some of that was needless or some of that was 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 being manipulated. And perhaps those stories. I mean, this is where we want to get into perhaps some of the information presented was presented in a way to manipulate you to feel a certain way and have a certain experience rather than and do what was best for you and your family. And we want to kind of compare and contrast those, focus on the thresholds and kind of look for those universal experiences. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, there's, you know, there's those first little signs where you see the anti-lockdown rallies. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I drove through it. I just wanted to see, like, who was there, what was going on. And, you know, I'm like, this is a bad idea. Like, if, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're the anti-lockdown protesters in April holding a rally and one of those people dies, you're going to end up front page news. It's going to make it, it, you're just, you become a propaganda piece. It's a terrible idea. Nobody got sick. Nothing happened. George Mm, Floyd, all those, you know, you didn't see any spikes from the Floyd rally. You know, the Indy 500 that I went to, nothing happened. You you just have all these little benchmarks where you kind of go, don't, you don't need to be so afraid of this. Like, and what's interesting now is that we're at a point where you have the vaccine, you have dropping rates uh, in terms of death. Specifically, we had this spike up to 7,000 cases a day in Indiana, but the deaths didn't change. And people seem to be more afraid now, after the vaccine, yeah. than, than they were even a year ago. Which you, you, uh, What do you attribute that to, Hawk? I, I have a... If, I'll go deep on that one. I, I feel... The thing about what's been presented is there's there's I think the primary narrative coming from the policymakers coming from the uh, regurgitating mainstream media is 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 not authentic. It's not true. It, there's they're 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 sculpting a narrative off of flimsy evidence. Now these people are are hearing it over and over again. As I like to say, there's a trifecta say of the New York Times, NPR, and and um, and CNN. And so they, they hear it over and over again. So it's out of sheer repetition, out of like the, the, the nature of sort of advertising technique, it becomes reality because they hear it over and over again. And then they tend to regurgitate it and becomes a reality. I think that deep down somewhere centrally in their being, in their rational mind or their spiritual mind, whatever modality you want to think about it, but that sort of centered sort of human spirit knows it's not true knows there's something that's not quite right. There's a little bit of their critical mind that's like, hmm, it's not quite there. And the, and the more they get drawn along this narrative, and the more ridiculous and absurdist it becomes, the more they so actually know it's not correct. So it comes up as frustration and anger, which technically is at themselves because they're not listening to their own sort of critical thinking and their own doubting self. But it be t- turns into this projection of fear, and that projection of fear then becomes anger, and then and then they're like, oh yeah, I don't care. Pe- let these guys who are not getting vaccines die, you know. And it's like, wow, that's 
dark psychotic you know, like, sociopathic <laughs> psychotic. horrible yeah. and then and then and they're like and we're the reasonable science following blah 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 love like they, is they love let these people die yeah, exactly <laughs> unconditional love let them die you know and it's this very strange bizarre absurdist orwellian doesn't make any sense and and we stand back and you know and it's there's a whole this I'll kind of segue a little bit to my where I'd be hopeful. I think there's so many people like that doesn't make any sense. And that first threshold of the awakening of the individuals, like what they're telling me versus what I'm observing personally does not compute. And that, that, that there's a little short circuit. And if they think that doesn't make any sense, that's the beginning of their critical thinking reawakening yeah. or them listening to it. And I think the next big threshold after that is when you then decide to say it out loud to somebody, express it. Like, you know, you, you might take you a few days, might take you a few years, be like, hey, and you got to pick who you're going to say it to. Like, I noticed something that's not quite correct. And I'm going to say it out loud now. And that's a bold, courageous thing to do. Um, most closed societies, if you look at like North Korea, all of their propaganda is designed to capture someone the moment they doubt the government to like your parent or your friend. Like, hey, everybody. Just remember, if you hear your parents say anything bad about the government, let us know because we're more important. And it's all about capturing that. The, 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 the statist oppressionist jackbooted thugs t- are terrified of self-expression. And I think that's that is what you're to get back to your question. The anger, I think, is people it's they're they're denying their own self. They're denying listening to their own inner rational or spiritual center, whatever you want to call it. And, and they're so frustrated with themselves that it's been weaponized into anger against other. And we happen to be of the other camp. Yeah, I mean, there, there's something fascinating in terms of pride here. You know, mm-hmm. where, where people, yeah. and, I, and I, I'm Mr. Both Sides guy. I mean, I have uh, friends who were just sure this was all a hoax. It was a New, uh, a new World Order conspiracy Um this wasn't this. They have never really thought it's real. My, you know, it was not real until their immune system was going to fight it off, you know, and then get it. And like, I don't have it. Like what? <laughs> you can't get out of bed. Like it's, it's not like the whole, is it COVID or allergies game doesn't exist. Like from, for a lot of people now with Delta, if you get it, you're going to know it. I mean, I, I, sure, it was sure. a month, it was a month longer recovery for me this last mm. time. Oh, yeah, it's miserable. Uh, it, no it's one, horrible. Like, I don't know if you've it. had it. Yeah, no. Like, um, but, like, they just can't admit that they got new information. You know, and I've got, on the other side, friends uh-huh. and family who are just like, yes, I know that they have had COVID within the last month and have antibodies, but they're unvaccinated and I cannot be around them because I might get COVID even though I'm vaccinated. And you're just like, the, the just admit that you may learn some new information. Like there's, there's just this stubborn pride. I, I don't know if this is, it, it, it's the weirdest psychological thing. And I think sure. you've kind of nailed it with that, where it's just like, I can't, I have invested so much of my energy into this and being right about this over the last 18 months that if I admit that I might have been wrong about X, mm. like my identity is going to crumble. It, it's just like a really yeah. where, where, and I think that's a very small percentage of people. I think most people are kind of like, I don't want to get it. I don't want to go sit, you know, I, I, I'm going to do some things. I'm going to get vaccinated. I don't want to get it or I don't want to get back. Right. But mm. like, they just kind of don't care and have moved on and don't want to talk about the pandemic. <laughs> like, this is over. We're moving on. You, oh, yeah. you freaks well, sit mean, over there and talk about it. Well, one of the hardest things to do, I mean, people hate admitting they're wrong. 
Yeah. And so that's part of the reason with this series, like I don't, we don't want to be like, we don't want to show like, hey, you're wrong. We feel like we have to tell an alternative story to lead people out. It's it's like saving face. I mean, saving face is a big part of the Eastern culture. I think it's a big part of our culture. We just don't talk about it. And Mm -hmm. it's just kind of used as a manipulative technique. Explain that. uh, Saving face. Well, where you, you know, kind of what you described was if you, if if you sh- shove it in somebody's face that they're wrong, they kind of disassociate. Like they don't want, you have to give people an out. You have to give them a story for a reason to be wrong. You have to be compassionate towards their emotions because if you, if you, if you attack them, they're going to, they'll, they'll shoot up their, their walls and their barriers and their, and their internal protective mechanisms, which is what I, I would sort of describe what you just said. And, and you have to give people, I mean, compassion is the ability to find the language that speaks to the person in front of you. If you say like, I'm saying the words that make sense to me and you should understand it. You're not giving them the pathway, like the story pathway to understand you. It's actually on you as the storyteller to find the words that make sense to them. And, and, and in terms of saving face, I mean, that's a complex sort of cultural phenomenon, but you have to, you know, you, you, you need to let people come to their own emotional understanding as to why they are wrong or, or why, why they need to adjust their belief system and give them time to do that. If you, if you sort of like, here are the facts and I have it in front of your face. Cause we all want that sort of like, we've been programmed by television and film, like, you know, the slapstick, here's the punchline. And now they know that's not how life works. You know, it's just, there's usually this very slow, deliberate sort of back and forth. And you, you, you there was a study to integrate. Yeah. To to briefly interrupt, there was a study that said uh, a conversion to Christianity, an evangelistic study said it took 30 conversations for a person to become a Christian. You know I mean? That's that's, all right. Yeah. I mean, that's, Maybe I mean, 30 six, stories. That means walking through the story, right. each one, each one, like each a threshold, each an emotional place. Well, what about this? So these things that I wanted to know about, like, well, we think about it like that way. I was like, oh, okay. And they, then they have to, a slow contemplation. Well, and with the, with the witness project um, about the uh, uh, closed society dissidents, I mean, part of the argument was that there's are sort of the thresholds, but the, the fifth threshold, it was, it was basically, you know, the, the, Think you know, thinking for yourself, expressing it the first time, meeting the community around you. I mean, it's very hero's journey, going through the ordeal, escaping the, the, the oppressive regime. But then, with the benefit of time, wisdom comes. You people, you know, a lot of it was people would kind of escape. Like I talked talk, talk about Cambodian fellow. You don't just show up to the United States. You know, you you, you make it. Uh, you, you escape the regime. You're you're in exile. You're you're, you're uh, you, you've, you've you've you basically survived the ordeal. And then it's not like you're like, aha, freedom. I know what that is. Most of the people never even know what freedom was. And it takes them 20 years to like un- live a life of freedom, get a stable environment going, an emotional state, a fam- familial state, an economic state, live it for a while. And then one day they, it's like clicks. And they're like, oh, I understand what I was living under when I was a bird in a cage under the thumb of an oppressive regime. And now I know how to articulate it. And it takes them 20 years to get there. You know, it's not these, everybody wants this like instantaneous, oh, what did you learn? It's like, you got to let people figure it out. And and so the idea of saving face is like telling stories and, and uh, or at least how to create new cultural literacy is more of kind of a, a step towards that is giving people each of those phases where they, that here's a little thing to think about here, here. Here's some knowledge. Here's a bit of an emotional experience. We want that to go into your mind and let you experience the wisdom that comes with it. You know, we, we'll describe it. We'll help define that. And then we'll move on to the next topic. But like, you know, not assuming everyone knows everything and being as gentle as possible, compassionate 
and yet hard hitting with the facts as well. You want you want to kind of like and, and not ignoring the shadows and not ignoring the stuff like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Um, it's 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 an interesting dilemma. Um, just one little side note I want to add is, I mean, the biggest problem you know, as a guy who goes around collecting stories from people who have historically significant stories to share and that kind of stuff. One of the first things I have to do is convince them that their story is worthwhile mm. because most of the people around them is like, why remember the past? The, the main attitude towards history by most cultures is why would you want to remember the past? And that's, that's kind of a, that's a, that's a norm for the human species across, across many nations, many cultures. I've noticed this. And so it's like, as a storyteller, I want to, that's part of the reason I want to do follow the science on lockdowns and Liberty. I just want to capture historically what happened and have it on the record. Yeah. And my experience and all the experience I speak of the people I speak to, they all have fabulous stories. They're all valid. Everyone listening, their stories are valid digital, you know, the, the details are unique to them. So it's utterly unique to them and a fabulous, unique story to them and yet the thresholds and the universality experience is something worth capturing comparing and contrasting and from that we can learn and hopefully move forward properly i i think i love it because i've i've maintained the whole time like the the reason 9-11 still impacts us is because of the stories we deeply connect sure. with you know i i'll never forget spring break stu- senior year standing in front of the the fence near ground zero mm-hmm. with all the stories on the fence of, you know, like I, I remember just weeping at yeah. darts yeah. and a guy, you know, they played darts with their friend and have one round on us in heaven. Like, I mean, it still like brings up this emotion now, 20 years yeah. later. Yes. Um, and the thing about the pandemic is that stories were never told. It's all yeah. been facts and figures and, you yeah. know, are not values. And it just doesn't mean anything to people. People don't connect to it. And both yeah. sides have just tried to throw, like, their own facts at this. And it's, you know, uh, the first time I saw stories around the pandemic was Spike Lee's documentary on HBO. Um, okay. the, the 9-11 documentary. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like. I have not. Um, it's two hours about the pandemic in New York City. And oh. it's these. And it's. Nobody's talking down to anybody. It's literally just like paramedics talking about every five minutes getting a cardiac arrest call and, you know, doctors talking about how they didn't have enough of this and that. And like hearing firsthand accounts and seeing the emotion and hearing the story, you're like, I just gained such a new perspective on what happened because I've kind of become hardened to it. It's like you you just sort of if you check out of it and and you mm-hmm. start taking your own personal experience as this is the reality. Um, and you don't know anybody that died from this and you don't see anybody that's, you know, you're, you're in a place that had spikes and was, you know, chastised for yeah, being terrible, yeah. but like things are pretty okay here. Um, and life is back to normal. And, uh, y- you, you got to see a different perspective in New York city yeah. where a, the media is based, um, B, yeah. but it just gave me a different perspective on it. And I think, you know, sure. the, the stories of small business owners have touched me. You know, we, we talked to yeah. Jeff Bennett, who um, ran, runs a, an ice cream shop in California. And the way that Fresno has completely screwed with his business, I mean, it, it pulls at your heartstrings to the point that one of our listeners flew from Minneapolis down to Fresno to hold a corporate event there to support him. You know, yeah. so stories yeah. just are incredibly powerful. And I think we've, we've, we, one of the reasons we're so disconnected around the pandemic is that it's not based in story. It's based in easily 
falsifiable or non-falsifiable facts that can be perverted. Yeah, and, and, and with little disregard for or little regard for the uh, unintended consequences of, of what's being decided off yeah. of those 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 uh, abstract numbers. Um, yeah, and it's it's hard because I mean you know I, I'll check out that documentary, the Spike Lee documentary. I mean, you know, because it is the sort of thing where like yeah, there was a there was a big spike of sorrow of of, of travesty in New York City. You know, and then looking at that and like, like, does everyone in New York City now, though, think that that's what everyone else experienced? So anyone who thinks right. opposite must be crazy. And you know, so it's this interesting sort of trying to find those middle grounds, you know, and and plus trying to understand like, well, did New York go that road? Because it's such a dense population of people. It's a it's a, it's actually a very mismanaged city. And, you know, it's it's they weren't geared to handle something like this and they could have been. But why didn't they? You know, it opens all kinds of questions as to what could have been um and it you know and it's and i i helped a lot of friends you know i was like i had friends who were stuck there and we, people helped you know it was hard remember you weren't supposed to travel so you had to do an act of civil disobedience to kind of help people get to other parts of the country at a certain point which was just surreal and even though we were all kind of free to do it and no one was getting pulled over it was just kind of this odd you could feel sort of the control of the government like saying you can't do that and it's like no i'm gonna go do this because i have that Right. Everybody has yeah. those benchmarks, like you said. Like the first yeah. time you put on a mask, you felt awkward and weird, like you were being judged. The first time you yeah. took it off, you felt like you were doing something wrong. Like, or the or the first time you walked in somewhere, being one of the persons not wearing a mask, uh-huh. and everyone looked at you, and you felt the shaming and the shunning. And my fiance looked at me and goes, "You're not going to wear a mask." I go, "This is over. Yeah. We're done with this. If well, we don't take this off now, we're now, you know, like." You got to be the asshole because if you're not, well, we, we, yeah, oh, totally. And we talked to we just we just did an interview with Angela Marston. She's the one who had that viral video where she had that restaurant and she filmed it and she had she put all this money and investment into an outdoor patio. And then, but they started down, but they, there was the lockdown showed up and they let locked that that down as well. And then she goes to her restaurant, stops by for some reason, and there is a giant feature film movie set in Los Angeles, like northern. North Hollywood or something and a huge tent right next to her thing. And that was okay. And she just turned on the video and just let loose at yeah. the, how unfair this was and how crazy this was and how absurdist this was. And well, one of the things I have done, and you've actually already answered the question was I've asked everyone we've been talking, we just, we've been talking to, you know, scientists and doctors and, but everyday people. And, um, um, and I always ask everyone though, you know, I, I asked this, I just talked to Dr. Peter McAuliffe and we just talked to Dr. Robert Malone and Dr. David Katz. And then, and then, and then people like restaurant, restaurant owners, uh, they got a guy named Matt Brimajan in California, but I ask all of them, what was the first moment that you heard of COVID or more importantly, when did you realize it was something you'd have to, you'd have to take seriously? And you, and you just, uh, it's, it's, I think you just kind of got at that where that's one of those real moments. It's sort of the nine 11, uh, moment of, Oh, I, I can't just carry on my life the way I used to. There's this slow moving paradigm shift. Do, do you recall that? I mean, you, yeah. you, you talked about the documentary. What was, what was your version of that? Um, so my version of it was a, a, a work event. So I worked for a radio show and we were going to have an event in Louisville or Lexington or somewhere, um, you know, with a lot of money tied to it. And, you know, we we had long conversations about whether or not we should have that. And the, the bottom line was just, we don't know. And if we have this event and somebody gets hurt or, God forbid, dies, like, I don't want that on my conscience. Like, if we don't know, I mean, for me, it was just, 
I'm not a doctor. I'm a dumbass. That's why I do this show so I can talk to smart people who think about these things, who kind of understand stuff like um You're I'm a curious I, man. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. I need to I need to think about like I need information. I I need to know what's mm-hmm. going on. Let's wait this out to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was the, we took a lot of heat. Oh, you're canceling this over a hoax, but it was the right call because like the NCAA losing billions of dollars, it, it wasn't about, you know, there was no insurance money. It cost everybody a lot. I mean, but it was the right call. It's like Jeff Bennett at the ice cream store in California. I go, so what do you do? Oh, safety for our employees is a top concern. We want, you know, we can do whatever we want now. And, we have these protocols, you know, it's like the local Chick-fil-A bringing in IU health to figure out how to best protect their employees. Like the idea that everybody was just going to be reckless and be unsafe and actively, you know, have COVID parties like chicken pox was just nonsense. Um, Every business owner that I talked to, you know, long conversations with my cousin, Matt, who runs a lawn care center. What do I do? How do I keep my people safe? How do I keep my elderly customers safe? That was the top concern for everybody, and it remains that top concern. And like you said, we were all going to figure it out without the interjections in the marketplace making everything so much worse, inflating the currency, uh, and it would have been so much less resentful, so yeah. much less angry, so much less political. Uh, you know, we wouldn't. You know, people have lost the ability to talk about this. They've lost yeah. the ability to yeah. talk about politics, and you want to know why. Democrats can't figure out why they lost in an election yesterday and mm. Republicans don't really know why they won because none of them are talking to each other. Like, and sure. so, yeah, it's all talking past yeah, each other. For vo- sure. Voluntary exchange just brings about the muscles of social <clears throat> fabric. Whereas well said. easily going to force and pushing your agenda onto people breeds social resentment and this kind of chaos. And so, uh, I, I just think that's the thing that I take away from this pandemic is that there's, you know, like that documentary, like I've experienced in my life, there's a lot of empathy that people mm. have for others, even yeah. the people they don't agree with. And the second you wedge the government in between it, it just breeds that anger, that resentment, that hatred. And um, I hope that we walk away from this going what were we thinking? <laughs> like just yeah, going for the quick, yeah. easy for- route, forcing everybody into their homes, forcing vaccines well, into them. And like, you know, it just, it's you. you well, and even just, and I'll jump in there just saying like, it's like reclaiming our humanity. I mean, like the, yeah. everyone's so risk averse. I mean, yeah. this was not a very, I mean, I'll say too, like for everyone who lost a loved one to COVID, like deepest sympathies and sorrow and compassion for that. I mean, it, it has been difficult to see the, the, the this, occur and have the susceptible and those who, who, who fell victim to it, you know, lose their lives or, or, or become uh, deeply disabled by it. Terrible. But it is a, um, you know, due respect, but it is a manageable risk that we, that we can assess that in the great scheme of things, it's like we still get out and get in our cars and run the risk of having the car accidents. Yeah. We still go out and, and, you know, there's all kinds of other diseases and other ailments and other accidents awaiting us. And, and just like a relationship to our humanity in terms of we have an immune system, you know, but, but, but the only thing in certain life is death and taxes. We're all going to die someday. Like, like, and, and having a relationship to it and, and, and being able to discuss it openly and, 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 and to your point of just people have just really lost the ability to hear each other and share their the their their own human experiences and and then to to decide what is um, 
a safe amount of risk to engage in living life to its fullest. Like we all just, I mean, ultimately this project and the reason I'm doing this is I want for for like everywhere I've ever been and everyone I've ever met to relearn what it is to live life to its fullest. And I feel like that's our journey back to not, you know, I don't want to call it normalcy or, or, or what life was like before, but the new paradigm that I think that we're heading towards in a good way, once we get through all this sort of bureaucratic nonsense that we're all going through, I do feel there's a chance that a lot of very, a lot of people are waking up. A lot of people are, 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 are making choices for themselves that they, that they realize they have to make choices for themselves, that, that the world's difficult, but the human experience, the human condition is to make choices and move forward to better yourself, to better your family, to better your environment, to better your community. And I just feel like we're we're in a good, I think we're going to get there. And I hope follow the science of, on lockdowns and liberty is just one uh, cog in the in the uh, kind of establishing that cultural literacy for everyone to get there together. Yeah, I mean, my mom is an, a nurse and a uh, 40-year nurse. <laughs> and <clears throat> I hate the people who make fun of the TikTok nurses because... They have no idea how many Christmases and Thanksgivings and birthdays my mom wor- missed this past year. Sure. Yeah, because she people. she was exposed to COVID, or how hard mm. it's been for her. I mean, we you know, but at the same time, like we literally thought we were just saying goodbye to her, like you know. Mm. And yeah. so there came a point, kind of you know, in the middle of the year, where we're like, all right, she's gonna be fine. This is not as bad as we thought, you know. It's but yeah. having those conversations helped us, you know, the, well, if the, you, and the fear is real. And like that yeah. emotion is completely valid. Even if like, that's where like, even if perhaps it was the narrative made it more fearful than you need, need be, you experienced it as if it was real. So therefore your emotions were totally real. And right. now you, that's part of you. That's part of you and your family. Like you've had that experience and, and you know, you, you want to make sure you want to make sense of it and understand how it fits around you. Yeah. Um, it, it's like, it's at, at no point, it's always very important. Everyone's experience is valid. You know, it's their, it's, I, I, I like to return to that because I just, because it also is about the individual, the individual experience. I mean, to, to, to go through that, these nurses and doctors who went in and worked on this stuff when they didn't know, when it was unknown. Nine Italian doctors had died like the month before it hit. Like we were just bravery. We were just sure that they, I mean, they, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely worth celebrating. Absolutely. Yeah. I think they, the, 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 you know, I've really cut back on memes, uh, (laughs) which sounds like a really ridiculous thing to say, but you know, that kind of, that specifically kind of taught me like, is mocking other people really helping, you know, because, it isn't, you know, it's, and like, if you have an unvaccinated friend and you are hardcore vaccine, like go and talk to them because you're going to be amazed at how many blood diseases you didn't know about, how many sure. complications their doctor has advised against because they shouldn't get the shot. Like the, yeah. the asking instead of judging or mocking is so much more powerful because you learn something about your loved one or friend that you, that they had been hiding from you. You know, because they didn't want to burden you, you know, and we, we, uh, that's something that I've learned. Like, all right, why do you, why are you not wanting to do this? You know, well, because of these things, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. How can I help? You know? And, and I, Mm. I I think that's, that's got to be just a core part of moving forward is just, uh, stopping asking the question, trying to connect with someone on a vulnerable level, as opposed to just trying to shove them in the box, trying to put them you know, I'm mm. sure I'm sure people uh, that downloaded this are like, well, I'm waiting to see what Hawk's bias is, 
Is he a crazy person who just is a, a hoaxer, anti-vaxer, trying to get on the uh, the old Mercola train? And like, you know, but I, I appreciate your time, and I think uh, this has been a great conversation, and I can't wait to see the documentary. How long do I have to wait? Well, uh, we just, um, we, we're pivoting now to uh, production. Well, we've been in production. We've done about 40 interviews, but we're, uh, as part of our development process, but we are going full on into getting the pilot done um probably we'll probably have something towards the end of february march in terms of release and uh we've got a we got some more we're going to do some travel get some sit down interviews we've got some talent we're negotiating with right now um just finished a, a, a sit down interview with nick hudson in south africa so that went really well um so yeah we're working on that the pilot and then the will be the overall series we'll be spending the next year on working on it so Sweet. look for something in the first quarter of 2022 and if you want to help contribute, you go to followthesciencefilm.com. Congratulations on hitting 200,000. Uh, yeah, making thank you. This. Yeah, we're, we're humbled and thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, I think people need to understand that it takes money to put something like this together. Creative work is work. It takes work and it takes capital. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes people go, oh, everybody's starting a podcast or doing a film or something about this controversial topic because they're grifters, which – you know, uh, sure, yeah. I, I, and, I def- and it, defend creative work, please. So people understand what resources it takes to make something like this. Sure. Well, it's, it's, it's a collective art form. I mean, it is, it is, um, we're all professional filmmakers. We've been doing it for years and, and, uh, what we, we want to make something at, a, at, at basically as high a professional level as possible. Um, we, we're, we're, we want to, we want to be good enough to be on the main distribution models. Uh, we, you know, we have, a, we have a strategy there. Um, and plus people respond to production value. I mean, you, there's, there's a, you sort of, you show that you show these people in a certain way and that that's just the nature of major feature film cinema sort of gives people that, that, uh, they're able to project themselves into it, into the world. If, if, if you can project into the, if you can get people to project, uh, suspend their disbelief, become part of the world you create for them, they internalize that and becomes part of their being. So that's what production value attains. And that's what we're going for. We feel, we feel that going for a uh, cinematic quality documentary uh, docu-series that brings you into this world of understanding we think will have a, a greater effect and th- so that being the case we're, we're, we're actually uh, our first phase is a three hundred thousand dollar fundraise but the, the overall series will be about one and a half million dollars so, um and the your, your average netflix documentary costs like a, a million and a half per episode so we're mm-hmm. we're actually we we figured out like the, our bottom dollar cheapest way we feel we could make it and yet attain the the, the look and feel that we feel will put us on the uh, you know, swinging for the fences. So we really appreciate everyone who's donated so far. And if anyone wants to donate, you know, it's, um, we, we, we greatly appreciate it. And, you know, and, and for me, fundamentally, it's to demonstrate what it is to, for me, self-expression in terms of my bias, I believe self-expression, the act of expression, the, the ability for the individual to express themselves, to think of an idea that somewhere and there's this ethereal plane where we, you think of something and you bring it in and you say it out loud. That is the driving force, the transcendent driving force of the entire human experiment. And that's, that's my bias is that I believe freedom, that, that expression, self-expression, freedom of expression is fundamental to everything. So that's everything I say is through that filter. Too bad. Hollywood's going to cancel. you. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it's all right. I, uh, Hollywood's over. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's in its twilight, just like journalism, old, old, old world journalism. It's now everywhere. I mean, here we are having this wonderful conversation through modern technology, wonderful production values in and of itself. So 
it's uh it's it's things are changing i had that conversation today uh, you know around an old school medium and uh i just said look look you need to understand production value has never been cheaper to attain people have people there is an entire generation of people who are voting and serving overseas and having children who have had a camera in their hand the whole time like you you need to understand that this is not 1997 yeah. anymore. Like yeah. you can make yeah. a movie, a, a radio yeah. show, a documentary, or whatever for cheap. Yeah. So you really you've got to be more creative. I mean, so yeah. the old well, model of of content creation where you have to go hand, yeah. hat hat in hand. I'd love for people to go listen to your podcast with Zuby because you talk a lot about Hollywood where you had to toe their line. You don't have to do that anymore. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's interesting that, I mean, the whole production value thing's interesting. I mean, like with, with witness project, I mean, what I wanted to do was create the hero myth. I was like, they're, they're basically little feature films about these, these, you know, a star in the Hollywood sense is an actor pretending to be a hero and you put all the production value and then they think, Oh, wow. But these are actual people who actually stood up and started to express themselves in the face of oppression. They're actual stars, whatever, you know, however you want to sign it, like, like people who have that energy to like put that energy out. And I was like, yeah, if we put the right production value around them where you show them, you know, people respond to that. If you, I mean, there's a reason the leader or the king had that stately room and the throne and it's gilded and you're up higher. All these little things matter and you realize, oh, this person's important or this person has some sort of direct connection to something higher than myself. All these psychological control mechanisms that you can see time and time again, you can reflect them in production value. You can show like this person is worth listening to because we've put this effort. You have, you know, with a, with a proper film, say you have 25 people on set. Those are 25 creatives different types of artists with different specialties, all pouring their energy into making that one person look amazing so that they then can pre- present their information. And, and then that person feels like, like, wow, 25 people, if you know, sometimes 50 are doing this and they realize like, now is the time for me to really speak my truth. And they speak the truth over my shoulder is a camera, which is like a time machine. It captures that perfect moment, that perfect bit of light. And then we do a whole bunch of work on it in post-production to make it that much more beautiful, bring in all the other like music and all that kind of stuff. And we have this presentation of truth that is, that is, that is, that is authentic and rivals the the narrative, you know, you have like, you know, we, we like stories and, you know, narrative film and all that kind of stuff. But I like to bring cinematic quality to documentaries because that way, here's a really true piece of wisdom being shared with humanity that we can all learn from and not necessarily have to experience ourselves if that story is told, told properly. So we really pour ourselves into making high quality documentaries, high quality stories with the necessary support squad. So that's, that's why we're, we're, it, it sounds like a lot of money and yet it's not a lot of money. And it's like that kind of, it's not enough. <laughs> <know. all. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I can tell you working in the, so sound mind sure. creative group, uh, go support them, follow the science Thank you so much for joining us. We just asked that everybody go uh, support your work. And, uh, I mean, if you love, if, if you want good content that tells the truth, you've got to support it. So, uh, make sure you go check out followthesciencefilm.com. Hawk, thank you so much. We really appreciate yeah. your time. Thank you, sir. It was really great being here. Um, I'm glad you're feeling better um, from being <laughs> under the weather, and it was a great conversation. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks.